the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. My producer just said one more show for the week. I can't believe we're already at the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and we're here every weekday at 4 o'clock to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions. And for no other reason, we want you to fall more in love with Jesus. This program is dedicated to answering those questions. Here are the phone numbers, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com, or you can send them in via our free mobile app, and we have a lot of really great questions that have been sent in. But remember, we prefer your live calls just because you're usually more interesting than I am. Uh, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button. It's absolutely free, and you'll be connected directly to the studio. Well, because it's Friday, we're all looking forward to a great weekend. I am hoping and praying that people will get saved where you go to church, that God would even use you as an instrument to lead somebody else to Christ. We talked earlier about making the most of every opportunity, or as the King James says, redeeming the time. Um, You're going to encounter people Sunday who are hurting, uh, people whose lives are a mess, some who put on the happy church face and kind of go through the motions, ask Jesus to give you discernment and minister to people you don't know. Minister to people who look like they're in pain. If somebody looks like they're alone, if somebody looks like uh, they could use some encouragement or somebody to pray for them, be the man or be the woman that God uses. It will change everything about your church experience and the way others view you as well as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So have a great, great weekend in church. I know we will hear we're actually opening a new chapter. Uh, Sunday will be in Romans chapter 7. I'm going to do just the first six verses of Romans 7. Uh, tonight we're actually going to close out um, the book of Colossians with a small overview, just a few things the Lord's put on my heart. Uh, And then we are going to be going two weeks from tonight into the book of Acts. So wherever you are going to church, be somebody who makes a difference in somebody else's life. Hope that helps and answers. uh, So why do we need to go to church questions that we get so often here on this program? One more time, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox from Jake. And this is more of a a statement, and I'm really grateful for it, Jake. Um, Last week, we had some questions about pornography, and it kind of evolved into your kids having cell phones. And one of the things that I said was that if you allow your children unfettered, unrestricted access to a cell phone, that it's like giving them a ticking time bomb. Your children will be trapped. They can't avoid it. You know, the the Song of Solomon says, do not awaken desire before it's time. But we've got these electronic devices, these computers that we carry around. 
that are awakening desire in your children's hearts. Now, one of the things that we talked about in response to a caller was that most of us as parents don't believe our kids would do it. No, my daughter, my son, they always tell me the truth. You don't understand. That's Jake's comment. Jake, I so appreciate this. He says, this is in response to that pornography question in your comments on kids with cell phones. I was one of those kids whose parents would have said, oh, my son would never know. And then he says this, every child who has access to the Internet, whether it's YouTube or just browsing, will be exposed to it and tempted. And just as I was one of those kids whose parents believed could do no wrong, and I myself struggled in secret without them knowing, I guarantee your kids are struggling with it as well. Please, please be careful and get involved in your children's lives. Jake, I so appreciate the testimony. Um, we, we all want to think our kids are in this little Christian bubble and they're not going to be affected by the things in this world. But at, but at 10 years old and 12 years old and 15 years old and even 18 years old, these kids aren't prepared to have those images invade their minds and their hearts. They're not prepared at that point in their life to battle the spiritual battles that come with the enemy as a result of being exposed to those kind of things. And I want to plead with you, and I won't preach at you, but, but I do want to plead with all of you. If your kids have access to cell phones and they have it, you've allowed it because you've caved into the pressure that everybody has in this world now to your children with a cell phone. My granddaughter, who uh, was just is 12 years old, uh, not this past vacation, but the year before, she said, Grandpa, please tell my mom and dad, please tell them to get me a cell phone. Everybody has a cell phone. I'm the only one who doesn't have a cell phone. Um, and I told her, I'm not going to do that. Your mom and your dad, they love you. They're watching out for you. And then, of course, it's not this past Christmas, it's the Christmas before, they, they gave her a cell phone. And I'm terrified for her. I'm terrified for her. So don't give your children something that the enemy will use to destroy them just because everybody else has one. Engage your children in conversation. Give your children books to read. Sit down to dinner on a regular basis with your family with no electronics and talk to them. But by all means, by all means, don't give them access to a device that has a computer that can do anything. And no matter how smart you are and how you think you can watch everything that your child is doing, you're wrong. You're wrong. I would add, Jake um, uh, said uh, YouTube are just browsing the Internet, but uh, game stations, PlayStation and, and, and some of the other game stations, uh, uh, Snapchat and Instagram and some of these, your children are being exposed to things that would mortify you. And yes, your children raised in church, otherwise good kids, they have a sin nature. So, Jake, thank you for taking the time to uh, give us that testimony. Sometimes people don't want to believe a pastor. Um, oh, it's just overreaction. It's just too much fundamentalism for me. Um, but maybe they'll believe a dad whose heart's been broken. Thank you also for admitting that you struggled in secret with it yourself. Because that's where we begin by saying, I need help, Jesus. 340-9585, here is from our email inbox, and even the name breaks my heart, it's lonely. What advice do you have for a single woman in these end times? I've been walking with Lord faithfully for some time, and he's still not sent me a Boaz. Sometimes it seems so hopeless, and I get so lonely that it seems I will be alone forever. That thought really depresses me, and I feel sometimes like just giving up or even praying for us, even giving up on praying for a spouse anymore. Uh, and then she wants to know, do I have any thoughts? 
Um, lonely, I do. Uh, you know, um, uh, when I respond to these kinds of questions, and we have them often, um, people criticize me. You don't understand. You don't. You've got Paula. Uh, you don't understand how I feel. But but here's the advice I have for a single woman in these last days. Jesus is your husband. Be with him. When you're walking with the Lord, you're not lonely. You're with him. Now, with a grateful heart, you can make your request known to God. Never give up on that. But sometimes, lonely, we're so focused on a person that we forget about the person, the man who gave us life. We're focused more on what we don't have, the prayers that haven't yet been answered, than what we do have and the prayers that have been answered. Be with Jesus. His grace is enough. His presence will bring you joy. Now, I understand the longing for human companionship. But make sure that having a human companion isn't your focus, isn't your priority that Jesus is. You see, when you're content being single, then God is free to bring the man that he's preparing for you into your life. But as long as you're longing for a man more than you are, even for your than your relationship with Jesus, uh, if God brought that man, you'd put too much pressure on him. So I tell the single women here, often, that when you're content, when you're just fine, just being married to Jesus. One day you're going to look up and there will be the man that Jesus has prepared for you at that very moment. So don't give up, but change your focus, change your perspective. Uh, Lonely, we actually have a group here at Calvary Chapel. We don't do groups like singles groups and and uh, where people can match up and meet up. Uh, but we do have one group. It's called Single Pearls here. Uh, and it's uh, uh, the single women, single moms sometimes in our church who come to a group with other women to learn how to be single, how to be content in their singleness. I would never at Calvary Chapel have a, a, a singles group where men and women get together and sort of check each other out like they would at a bar or something. It's silliness. I could tell you lonely to get involved in ministry at your church. Get involved. Serve. Don't just go to church, but serve. Get involved. Uh, you know, churches that grow large. Now, we have a large church in terms of number of people, not a big church in terms of, of space. And that helps us a great deal um, to, to keep that small feeling. But when people are serving, they're serving with a group of people that's much smaller and manageable. Five, ten, twenty-five people. And they serve together. They become friends. They do things socially together. Jesus always at the center of those social things. And those people don't get lonely. It doesn't mean they don't want to be married. It just means that they're learning to be content in the circumstances they find themselves in. It's very important that we learn Jesus is enough then he's free to bring us somebody that'll fix us. Let me give you one other thought, Lonely, and this is misunderstood when I say it. It's misunderstood even here at our church. The place you ought to be looking for a husband is in your church. Again, with the right priorities, Jesus being first, but you see, when you're up close and personal with somebody, when you're watching them serve, when you're seeing their heart on display every single week, you get to know who they really are. It's not like going online and hoping somebody's a good match or going out and doing social things and checking people out. But, but literally, Lord, I, I want a husband, but I want him to be a godly man. The same thing is true in reverse, man. I want a wife. I want a godly wife. Where better is there to see with your own eyes how somebody's walk with Jesus is than at church. That doesn't mean you're shopping for a husband or you're shopping for a wife. It just means that this is the place where God brings people to serve him together. 
this is a place where you get to see who the person that you're interested in really is. And you're not going to make as many mistakes. You're not going to be led by your emotions. So lonely, you've got to get involved. You've got to serve. You've got to have people around your friends. Make Jesus the center of all of those get-togethers. And I promise you, you'll find that his grace is more than enough. We sing a song like that, his grace is more than enough. Lonely, find out. I'll be praying for you. If you don't mind checking in from time to time, you can use that name. 340-9585. Here's a related question from our mobile app from Rich. He says, how does a single person know if another person is the proverbial one? The one is in quotes to Mary. Rich, I I think we know when we know. Now, I don't mean to be vague or flippant when I say that. But I think we know when we know. Um, Here's what I know. God wants to give us the desires of our heart. If we delight ourselves in him, he's promised to do that. So when I'm walking with Jesus, when all I want to do is please Jesus, and I look up and there is somebody who is attractive to me physically, they're attractive to me spiritually, we have things in common that matter, important things in common, of course it's from God. And we have this over-spiritualizing tendency in the, the Western church to look at people in situations like this and say, well, well, but wait a minute, how do I know it's the one God has for me? There is no one. The one that God has for you is the one you meet and fall in love with. You honor God in that relationship. You purpose in your heart together to serve the Lord in that relationship. That's the one. And sometimes we're always looking for another one. Well, maybe there's a better one. Maybe there's a different one. The one that you fall in love with. And that relationship, again, is based in the righteousness of Christ. That's the one. You know, there's no such thing as a soulmate before you meet that person. It's not like God's got somebody warming up in the bullpen for you until you get around to meeting them. Look in front of you. Walk with Jesus every day. Look in front of you. And one of those days you'll know. It's funny, and you guys have heard the story, but Paul and I fell in love the instant she opened the door and we laid eyes on each other. We weren't even saved. But we knew. And after a lot of pain and a lot of struggles and a lot of sin on my part, I got saved and found out that the woman that I was always looking for was right in my own home and I was too dumb, too blind to see her. And when Jesus came rushing into my heart, Paula got like a billion times more beautiful because I could see. Now, she had physically changed, but I could see. That's how you know. That's how you know. One of the problems, I think, in our culture, Rich, especially with younger people, certainly younger than me, is we feel almost inadequate or, or like we're lacking something if we're not in a relationship. And I really think that we cheapen the value of relationships. I really do. So just wait. If there's a woman in your future, Rich, or in one of your kids' futures, or a son-in-law-to-be, when your kids see them, they will be attracted to them. They will have a lot in common with them. Of course, they will both love Jesus with all of their heart. And they'll begin the process of walking together. And that is the one, the only one. So, Rich, I hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. How are we doing on time? I got a big question. Okay, I think I can do this. Here is a question from our email inbox. Brian, it's a little bit of reading, but I think it's an important question. Uh, Brian says, I was listening to an interview about modern Christianity between an evolutionist, atheist, and what they called a modern Christian. And in parentheses, he says, a Christian doesn't think everything in the Bible is 100% literal and accepts a blend of evolution and science in the Bible. And in it, the atheist made the claim. Now, let me stop there before I read the the, the atheist claim. Uh, there is no such thing as a modern Christian or an ancient Christian we are Christians because we believe in 
Jesus for our salvation. We believe in the word that he's given us. And it's simply not possible to have a modern view. You know, you can't take the pure and perfect word of God and mix anything, whether it's evolution or science or a more modern perspective on the book, something that is less than pure. You can't mix the less than the pure and the perfectly pure and get something better than the perfectly pure. You actually weaken, dilute the pure by adding imperfection. And so, Brian, there's no such thing as a modern Christian. It is not unmodern, bad word, but it makes a good point. To believe in a little interpretation of Genesis or to believe in a young earth, it's not uh, modern to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he was born of a virgin, that he was without sin, that he died for the sins of the world. And if it sounds old-fashioned to somebody who claims to be a modern Christian, my response is always the same. It's okay to sound old-fashioned. God is old. But we have to make that choice. And here's the atheist claim. He said, you need to separate the crazy in the Bible from the rest of it. Love your neighbor. Yeah, that's fine. But a snake talking, the universe being created in six days, a virgin birth, religion defies intellect. You really don't, I'm sorry, you really can't be an intellectual and also believe in the hoo-ha that's in the Bible. These ideas, by the way, let me stop there for a moment. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what God wrote. He also said of people like this atheist that I'm going to use the literal word, a moron says in his heart that there is no God. So you've got to make a decision. Who's really the source of intellect? And then he continues, these ideas like creation being in six literal days or the rapture coming and Christians going into the clouds, these are interpretations that sprung up with the 18th and 19th century fundamentalist movements. The early Christian church leaders, Tertullian, etc., didn't teach a six-day creation or the rapture. Those are newer teachings and interpretations, so the early Christians knew to separate the crazy from the rest, and modern Christians who accept evolution know to separate the crazy from the rest. And then the interview went on, but that's enough of it. Uh, and then here's Brian's question. Is it true that things like six-day creation doctrine and the rapture doctrine are only as recent as a couple hundred years? If so, why? Why is it that we only just now got it right? Are we really to assume that from AD 100 till the 1700s or whatever, the early Christians got it wrong? How's that even possible for the real Christian church leaders? And I'm talking the Christian church, not Catholicism, who chronologically were closer to when Jesus walked the earth in the New Testament was written. Uh, how they wouldn't get correct doctrine like the rapture and that we only just recently within the last couple hundred years suddenly know the truth behind these words. Brian, you have to be careful and discerning about who you're listening to. This is important. An atheist, the, the statement this atheist made is, is absolute nonsense. These interpretations aren't new. The Apostle Paul was a rapture teacher. After that, this is 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And by the way, this is way before AD 100. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's the rapture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all written by the Apostle Paul. He expected to be alive when Jesus returned. He expected them to the time he died. And it was this teaching of the rapture. People didn't understand it, but many people believed it. In fact, Brian, the first century church in total believed it. When you see the power in the book of Acts church, in large part, that power was fueled by a pre-tribulation rapture of the church belief. This same Jesus who you've seen go into the clouds will return in the same way they were told to say, watch Jesus descend, or I'm sorry, ascend into heaven. And the early church would get up every day expecting that his return could be at any moment. I always imagine him checking out the eastern sky. Well, he's not coming yet, but he could come today, they would say every morning. That was the source of their power, the imminency of his return. So these are not new theories. Paul was pre-trib. Paul taught a literal doctrine, an interpretation of Genesis. Paul believed in a literal six days 
and the real Adam and Eve. All you have to do is read Romans chapter 5. If it isn't true, then our Bible is nonsensical. Not only Paul, Jesus himself, Brian, believed that Adam and Eve were literal and real and the first humans. Jesus, we're told, was born of a virgin. If that's not true, then he can't say because he has a sin nature. So that's not crazy. That's truth. And Brian, you have to be careful because if you're reading the internet somewhere and you're going to let that shake your faith in the already delivered perfect pure word of God, then your walk is going to be miserable and painful. We have to decide who we believe in and whom we are going to believe. And an atheist who's read somebody's atheist website about church history that he has no interest in or doesn't care is not someone to listen to. A little bit more on this on the other end of the break. We'd love your live calls to finish out the week. 340-9585. 340-9585. You're listening to the words to stand up for life. With the Lord's help, I'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. The announcer just said we're taking your calls, plural. We'd love to have your calls in the last half of the program. Brian, uh, I'm really concerned for you. Uh, You know, not everything on the Internet is true. I know that's a shock to a lot of us. But we have to be discerning and we have to be students. Now, it is true that some of the early church fathers did not believe in a literal interpretation of Genesis or uh, a literal six days. Uh, All of them believed in the virgin birth of Jesus. If they didn't, they weren't Christians. Um, Early church fathers like Augustine did not believe in a literal six days, but but Ambrose, his mentor, his teacher, did believe and published it each day, consisted of 24-hour days. Ambrose lived in the middle of the 4th century. So it's very important that we do our research. Now here's, I think, the most important thing that I'm going to say to you, um, Brian. Um, Crazy is not believing the Bible. An atheist who is a fool to begin with, that's what the Bible says, Uh, An atheist, if you let an atheist who is a fool shake your faith in the Word of God, then you're not a student of the Word of God. This is what Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look, ask, and, and look, ask for the ancient paths and where the good way is. And walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Here's what he said in Jeremiah 18, verse 15. Yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which make them stumble in in their ways and in the ancient paths. They made them walk in And a bypath and on roads not build up. That's what these modernists are trying to do. That's what you find the junk on the internet. They're trying to shake your faith in the Word of God. And Brian, from the very beginning, did God really say was the very first sin? Here's some things to consider, and I'll go on to another question. If Adam was not the first real human created on the sixth 24-hour day, If Eve wasn't the second real human, both of them created directly by the finger of God, then Jesus is a liar. You can't take some of it without taking it all. Because if Adam and Eve weren't real, if they weren't literal, if they weren't in fact the very first humans, now think about that when somebody says the earth is millions or hundreds of millions or even billions of years old. If Adam and Eve weren't the very first two human beings, we're all lost in our sin. 
And for 2,000 years since Jesus, we've been deluding ourselves that he can save. If he's not God, if he wasn't without sin, if he wasn't born of a virgin, Brian, we cannot be saved. Our sins cannot be forgiven. And finally, if God is progressive, we're all in trouble. In the beginning, God, that settled issue. Genesis 1-1, John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, Brian, hold on. Don't let fools, morons, that's what atheists are. I didn't say they weren't smart, by the way. Sometimes it's hard to be smart. You outsmart yourself. But they're fools. They're morons. Because they've rejected the only way to reconcile their sins with God. The person of Jesus Christ. So, Brian, I'll be praying for you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from a mom. She says, my kids currently go to public school, and I'm terrified that they are going to be influenced to believe that it is okay, even normal, to be gay. Should I homeschool instead? Um, your, your kids will be convinced. Your, your, your fear is um, founded well, but this is where their mom and their dad have to take over. This is where the church plays an important role in their lives. You've got to talk to your kids about these things. You've got to prepare your kids for these things. I am not an advocate of taking kids out of public schools. Now, we have a Christian school here, but we have unbelievers who come to this school and unbelieving families, and we love that that happens because most of the time the kids and the families get saved. But the best place to be light is in dark places. And the public school system is a dark, dark place. And the light of Christ that Christian kids represent is invaluable, important. But you've got to teach them to stand. You've got to teach them to be convinced. I think part of the time we send our kids to church or uh, in this culture we send them to Sunday school. Uh, we tell them to love Jesus and then they, they see the hypocrisy in our lives and then they go and they're easily convinced by the people around them that Jesus isn't real because the Jesus that they see at home has no real value for them. They know about Jesus, but they don't know him. And a lot of the times, a mom, it's because well, they don't see Jesus alive in their own home. Moms and dads yelling at one another, yelling at the kids mom and dads who are unhappy and dissatisfied and not grateful and then we tell them at church about a God that is worthy to be praised they think well what's worthy to be praised if he doesn't have anything for me but your kids need to follow your example and your example needs to be one that's passionate and sold out not on issues not scared of gay people but truly in love with Jesus. You love Jesus, and, and, and your home is filled with his love. Jesus is going to storm their hearts, I promise. And then when they're talking to teachers or when they're talking to, to other kids who are trying to cram this agenda down their throats, they can stand and say, nope, don't believe it. Don't believe it's true. Because here's what I know, Jesus is real and he's alive. And that's the way people get one. Now, with regard to the, the idea of homeschool, I would never tell somebody they should homeschool. And I just said already that I'm not in favor of taking kids out of public school just because they're going to be exposed to worldly things. They're exposed to worldly things every day. And probably, a hey, mom, your kids have telephones. So we talked about that early in the program. Here's when you should homeschool. When God tells you to, and when he's equipped you to be a great teacher. Homeschooling as an idea is wonderful. But it ceases to be wonderful when the homeschool teacher isn't a gifted teacher, isn't a teacher that disciplines the kids. Sometimes I call it school in pajamas. Your kids need structure. 
they need order, they need consistency, they need to learn deadlines, they need to learn how to deal with others socially. And unless you're equipped to provide all those things, then you shouldn't be a homeschooler. Personally, I think it would be horrible to have to listen to my mom or my dad homeschool me. Mom, dad, you should be doing family devotions, teaching your kids the word. But to compound that with teaching them every day, having to take off the mom face or the dad face and put on the teacher face, I think that'd be horrible for kids. So unless you're gifted to teach and called, then I would say the answer to the question is don't homeschool them instead. Just prepare them. Let's go to David calling online. When David, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, um, David. I have a couple of things to say right quick. Uh, you, you've had an interesting week. <laughs> yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, one of the things that uh, has really come across this week is uh, the gay transgender issue has really seemed to be heavy this week. And um, I had something really uh, wonderful happen at, uh, with kind of a witnessing time with a person that was tra- transgender. And in my, I've been a Christian for about 20 years. And in my early couple of years, I had a, an extremely wonderful Bible teacher. And one thing that he always said was that, his favorite scripture, and it's turned out to be one of my favorite scriptures, is that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And I thought, wow, you know, God's just saying, just lift me up, lift up my son, and I'll do the rest. And, you know, you've said that a lot this week about uh, different churches, you know, that it doesn't have to be big, it doesn't have to be large. All we really have to do is the work of the Lord, and he'll, he'll do what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And in everything that I do... Any, any person I approach or whatever, it's like, okay, Lord, I'm your tool, and this is somebody that you created, is created in your image, and you love them, and you're going to do the work. Just give me the words that you want me to speak to them. And I had a transgender gentleman come to me, and, you know, he's kind of attacked and said, well, why do you say this, and why do you say that, and why does God say this, and why does God say that? And I said, you know what, let's let's just go back to Genesis. How about we just go back to Genesis and, and talk about something? And I, and I started him with Genesis 1, and I said, you know, for five days, God created. And every time he created, he stopped and he said, it's good. And everything was good. I said, you know, I don't know what kind of picture you have in your head, but it was perfect, beautiful, good. And then God stops and says, you know what, let's stop and create man. And he creates man, and he says... This isn't good. The man should be alone. And created the most perfect gift that he could bring and return back to man, which was a perfect mate, woman. And he gave woman to man. And I said, you know, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but I can imagine Adam just falling on his knees and just being stunned by the beauty that was before him, which was someone like him, but not like him. And I, I just can imagine him running around the garden and, showing her a flower and showing him, showing her the, the tree of life and showing her this and showing her that, the, the beauty of a bird and, and so on. And just, you know, because it was like him and he wanted to share. And all I could do was just share how, how beautiful God is, how merciful God is, and how graceful he is, and nothing else. I, I didn't speak to him about any verse that would condemn him. I didn't speak to him about... Any hell, I didn't speak to him about any of that. I just told him, I just raised God up. I just said, could you imagine how great that was? And then the gift God brought to man and said, look, I'm bringing you the greatest gift I can give you. And here it is. And I said, you know, that's all I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to say anything else. And he left so puzzled. (laughs) He left so puzzled. And, And in my heart, I just felt like, you know what? I just laid seed that the Lord's going to use. And, and that's all I was supposed to do, was yeah. just lift God up and let God work. Yeah. And that's all I wanted to say. Thank, thank you, David. I appreciate it very much. And, and you know, we can all, you, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're too many of us all or nothing types. We see somebody that lives a lifestyle that, that opposes what we believe to be right. And, and we get angry. We want to argue. We want to debate with them. Um, uh, what David did was he just 
treated that person like that was a person that God loved. Respect and dignity. We can do that with people that we disagree. And we can tell people what they're doing or what they believe is wrong with dignity and with respect. And we don't do that. We sort of use text speech, you know, just right to the point, sinner, repent kind of thing. And we have to tell people what's wrong, but not before we tell them what's right. David, that's what you did, and I really appreciate it. You know, it's so interesting. If if somebody would have said to me that, you know, one of my favorite verses is, uh, if, if the Son of Man be lifted up, then I, I will draw all men unto me. I would have asked him, said, do you know what Jesus was quoting there? He was quoting Numbers. Moses and it was the serpent in the wilderness, the bronze serpent that was lifted. Snakes had been let loose, were biting and killing people. And Moses said, all you have to do is look at this bronze serpent and you'll be spared, you'll be saved. And that's our message. All we have to do is look at the cross. Jesus was quoting the cross. He was saying that was a picture of his cross at Calvary. And while the world was pristine, that's the word I like to use, David, while the world was pristine, it was soon ruined. As soon as we get to Genesis chapter 3, and that's when death came into this world. And people who are confused and broken are a product of the curse. And the most unloving thing we can do is let, see, let people live under a curse without telling them the truth about there's someone who loves them and who died for their sins, and we have to come to him on his terms. So, David, you're right. It's been an interesting week. Uh, this uh, gay, transgender uh, issues that we deal with uh, are not just now becoming a huge part of this week's programming, uh, but, but this is going to be uh, the type of issue that dominates the world that we live in. And one of the reasons my heart was so broken with Brian's question being so easily persuaded by somebody that God says is a fool is if we don't settle in our heart what's true and what's right and what's loving, then we're going to get swept up by this world around us. And if we get swept up by the world, then we're going to spend eternity apart from Jesus as well. You know, this issue, uh, the the quote, modern Christian or the modern Christian view that Brian talked about, uh, that's not a view that leads to life. We don't get to make the rules. Only God does. And because God made the rules as servants of God, as creation of God, we need to follow those rules. So, David, thank you. Let's go to Bernie and talk with Ron holding on line one. Ron, great name. You're on the air. How are you? I got a brother who doesn't well. believe in God. And I was thinking about telling him, asking him, if his greatest hope is that when he dies, that's the end, and what his greatest fear might be is that he spend eternity with the devil in hell. Is that appropriate or is that too harsh? Well, no, I think it's appropriate. I think we can soften a little bit by saying if a guy doesn't believe in God, he's not going to believe in the devil. So I think by asking somebody, I think it's a great question because it'll open up all kinds of conversation. Uh, well, what is your greatest hope then? What are you hoping for? And and often, Ron, what they'll do is they'll say, well, I'm hoping for, for uh, to be happy in life. I'm hoping to be successful. I'm hoping to do this or do that. Uh, and you can look at them. And you can say, how's that working out? Yeah. Because the people who are lost and hurting, the people asking those questions are in pain. And then you tell them that there is one who we can demonstrate is truly God. You say you don't believe in God, but I can prove Jesus is God. If I prove it to you, will you open your heart? Most of the time they'll say no, which demonstrates that their lack of belief in God isn't... Uh, based on anything intellectual. Their lack of belief in God is based on one thing and one thing only. They're sinning and they don't want to stop sinning. And we know that God loves people. He makes them miserable in their sins. So uh, the, the conversation is, a, that's a great way to open it. 
but but we've got to meet them on their ground in the sense that if they don't believe in God, they're not going to believe in the devil. So we've got to find another avenue to open up discussion. And if you listen really closely, Ron, to people that you're talking to, they're going to give you doors so wide to walk through uh, in love. They're going to give you those doors, and, and you're going to be able to, to convince some. And at least, like David said earlier, we can plant the seed that God's Spirit will water uh, in days to come. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate it very, very much. Go ahead. Bye bye. Bye bye. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Jennifer. She says, "What would have happened if Jesus sinned just once? I think God would have forgiven him. Am I right?" Well, you see, if Jesus would have sinned just once, because he was God, he wouldn't be God. So you're making a distinction between the Father and the Son. But Jesus didn't sin just once. If he sinned just once, he wouldn't have been the perfect sacrifice, Jennifer, for you or for me. Now, the truth is, and I'll just use my life as an example, I've sinned like a billion times. I lived a truly wretched life before Christ. And it took a perfect human being to be an acceptable sacrifice for my sins. So... Jesus said, I did only what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. That means he couldn't have sinned. He had no sin nature. So consider Jesus born perfect, placed in an imperfect world, and his mission in life was to go through all of the temptations and trials that we all go through to a far greater degree, by the way, than, than, than we do. Um, and imagine for a moment that he loved you so much, Jennifer, that he chose you instead of sinning. So don't make the distinction between father and son in the sense that, they, that they're not both God. Jesus was God who veiled his deity. He veiled the attributes. He took on limitations, human weakness, and he did it and still lived a sinless, perfect life because we couldn't. That's really, really good news. If Jesus even could have sinned, Jennifer, he wasn't God. But because he had no sin nature, not only could he not sin, he did not sin, and thus we are saved. Dale says, and this is kind of uh, in the lines of some of the things that we've been talking about this week, how should believers prepare for the time coming soon? And then in parentheses he writes, I believe. Uh, when you will risk real persecution for holding to our faith. Um, Dale, there's no way to prepare. Uh, we have to walk with Jesus every day. Uh, you got to know your word, to be sure. you got to study it. you got to be able to uh, explain it, defend it. Not apologize for it, but you got to be willing to declare it. And we are in that time now. We're in that time now when we risk real persecution for holding to our faith. Now, this is not new in the rest of the world, nor throughout history, Dale, but it is relatively new for Christians in the United States of America, Christians in the West. So we've got to be ready. The only way we can be ready is to be filled with His Spirit, to be with Jesus every day, to be students of His Word, and to say, Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever comes... Help me stand firm. You know, Paul uses words like stand firm, be immovable. We've got to be those Christians. Here's one other thing we've got to do, Dale. We've got to be willing to endure righteousness. You know, Jesus, in one of the understatements in all of the Scripture, he said, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. The word blessed is simply our English word that would, would be happy. Happier are you if you're persecuted for righteous sake. Now, he didn't say in that passage in the Sermon on the Mount that, that we would feel happy or that we would feel blessed. He just said we would be. And that's when we have to really, really practice our faith, exercise our faith. Because I'm telling you the truth, Dale, when that time hits home personally, none of us are going to feel good. None of us are going to feel happy but we've got to be able to hold on to his promises. We live in a time right now when we suffer a great deal for saying the things that we know are true. 
because the world now stands opposed against us. And even our freedoms in this country to declare the truth about Jesus Christ are being slowly taken away. And it's going to get worse, and it's the indication of how fast things have changed uh, is, is any indication, rather, than, than uh, that, that time is coming really, really soon. So, Dale, I hope that answers your question. Here's a question. I take we're inside two minutes now, so I'll get this one, and then we'll be done for the week. William says, if I disagree with the pastor of our church on some doctrinal issue, is it okay for me to teach others in the church, outside of the church, the correct position as I see it? William, no. What a prideful, almost arrogant thing to say. No, 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 no. It's not your job to fix your pastor. It's your job to go to your pastor in love and explain to him why you think what he's teaching is wrong and then listen to him. Don't just go with some preconceived ideas that you know everything. The truth is, William, most of the time people who take the approach that you're taking with this question, uh, you know, your pastor's been studying the word a whole lot longer than you have. So talk to him. Just talk to him. Ask him to explain. But never divide his church. Never divide. The people don't need you to be their arbiter of truth. The people that you attend church with, they're under the leadership of their pastor. If you need to go because you have doctrinal differences, then go quietly and go prayerfully. But go. Hey, you can hear it, the, the music. We're at the end of the week. Hey, it's been a great week. I appreciate the many, many questions. As David said, an interesting week. It's a difficult week with some of these things. But we need to be ready. Hey, you've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life this week. When you go to church, find somebody to spread the love of Jesus on. God bless you. We'll see you Monday morning, or Monday afternoon, rather. God willing. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.